The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. There is no doubt we face a profound economic challenge. We now need stability and unity. I pledge that I will serve you with integrity and humility. The most important objective for our country right now is stability. Governments cannot eliminate volatility in markets. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. It is a Monday, and I don't know why, but it does feel like that all of a sudden we're getting an awful lot of policy that's happening on a Monday. Perhaps it's just a sign of how... Uh, turmoil-ridden British politics has been recently that it seems odd to be actually talking about quite a lot of policy. But anyway, today we have Rishi Sunak is in Bali for the G20 summit. That's his first big foray into foreign diplomacy. So he's been greeted by dancers on the way into the um, the conference centre there in Bali in Indonesia, along with the rest of the world leaders who are filing in. Uh, we saw them there a short time ago. He's written in the Telegraph ahead of this meeting uh, with some of his goals for this. We're told that he's pushing for global action to bring down the cost of living, boost global trade, prevent starvation and to end the war in Ukraine as well. We'll be talking about that a little bit later on as well, but it's not the only policy announcement we've had this morning. Yeah, also an agreement with France on trying to limit the number of people crossing the English Channel in small boats. That uh, uh, rumbling thing which the government has been uh, trying and really failing to tackle for the whole of this year, really. Um, The deal is to increase patrols along the beaches with 40% more officers. It's to cost the UK uh, some £63 million. We're already giving money to the French for this at the moment. This is just an increase on that. And it does mean for the first time that specialist UK officers will be embedded with their French counterparts. Yeah, it does seem like there are lots of announcements. I don't know if this is what it's going to be like with the new PM. There's going to be lots and lots of stuff. Or maybe it's a coincidence, or perhaps... Maybe, maybe we've just been distracted by other things for so long that we're just not used to the <laughs> idea well that something's actually kind of normal government is happening, and certainly normal foreign affairs seem to be happening, as these are you know both sort of big set-piece uh, agreements in the case of France and an event in case of the, the G20 as well. So perhaps it's a sign of, of normal politics, dare we say it, normal politics resuming? Oh my goodness. Could or, this be happening? Or perhaps, uh, the cynic in me, so maybe this trying to distract from... Grim economic news? Surely possibly? not. Possibly. Surely not. Uh, this is as the, the Times cartoon has a, a good cartoon today of the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt in a TV studio surrounded by axes, saws and swords <laughs> saying, I don't want to be drawn on the specifics of Thursday's budget, but, and this is as we've been hearing and Bloomberg's been reporting that Jeremy Hunt is expected to delay much of the £55 billion pounds of savings uh, needed to fill the hole in the public finances in the autumn statement on Thursday. So the idea will be is the measures will be announced, but they'll just be pushed back a few years. Uh, so perhaps won't bring so much immediate pain to the country or indeed to Tory voters either. Um, we did get a taste of how bad things might be, though, from the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt. He was speaking to some of the Sunday news shows. Let's take a listen. We're all going to be paying a bit more tax, I'm afraid. But it's not just going to be bad news. I think what people recognise is that if you want to give people confidence about the future, you have to be honest about the present and you have to have a plan. 
Well, let's bring in our guest, Sarah Olney, who's Treasury spokesperson for the Liberal Democrats. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg UK Politics. What do you make so far of all this uh, speculation we've heard about uh, the, the autumn statement? Well, hi, good morning. Thanks very much for having me on. Um, I think it is pretty bleak, to be honest, and I think that's what most people will be uh, will be hearing this morning and be expecting to hear on Thursday. But I think for a lot of people, uh, the news that we can expect tax rises will obviously not be welcome at all during uh, the cost of living crisis, which is really starting to bite very hard now. But of course, we've also heard from, from Rishi Sunak that the, the main priority is to... Um, is to, you know, stability and to retain credibility with the markets. And I think a lot of people would like to be hearing that the main priority uh, is to protect those on the lowest incomes uh, during, uh, during the cost of living crisis or perhaps to stimulate growth. But it seems to me that these tax rises that we're all going to have to, to face, as, as the Chancellor said at the weekend, is pretty much to pay for the mess that the Conservatives have made of the economy. The reason we don't have stability in the international monetary markets or credibility internationally, it's entirely because of the mess that the Tories have made of things. Uh, well, and it, I don't it, think... Is, it, is, sorry, is that yeah. correct, though? Or is, that, is it because we're spending £10 billion a month on, on energy subsidies? Surely governments right across Europe are, are facing a similar fiscal mess. Well, they are, but I think you can see that the situation in the UK is significantly worse. We've got the, the, you know, the worst levels of growth in the G7, for example, uh, and there's no doubt that the markets are much more sensitive to what the UK government are doing than they are to other governments across Europe. So, um, but I think also... Uh, what we're starting to see is that the liabilities on the energy price guarantees are not as great as we thought they might be. The wholesale uh, cost of gas is coming down. And thanks to, um, if you like, an abnormally warm uh, October and November, which in itself, of course, is a bit of a cause for concern, but we haven't had the demand for gas for domestic heating that we thought we might do. So uh, that, you know, those indicators are actually perhaps more positive than we might have thought. But there's no doubt that the, the need to, uh, to, to, you know, in, improve stability uh, in, in the money markets is entirely down to the disastrous mini-budget uh, from September that the Conservative government introduced and that we've got ongoing issues with growth, with productivity, with our workforce uh, that urgently need to be addressed and that's not going to be helped if we see large cuts to public services. Well, the government's argument would be is that the, you know they don't have the margin to do anything if they can't borrow effectively on the markets and, and calming things down after the events of the past couple of months has to come before uh, any other measures. But what would, what would your party do differently then in this situation? Well, I think you know, we've been calling for over a year for a windfall tax on oil and gas companies. Um, and one of the reasons for that, of course, is they're making excess profits at the moment due to the, uh, the very high uh, cost of wholesale gas. Um, and we would have been, we would have, in, we would have brought that in a year ago. It would have been brought in a lot, uh, a lot more tax revenue over the last year. And we've seen, you know, that Rishi Sunak did bring in a, uh, a windfall tax on oil and gas, but the recent um, accounts that uh, Shell have published, the recent results show they paid nothing in windfall tax. And the reason for that is because the government have allowed them to offset further oil and gas exploration against their, their windfall tax liabilities. So they're actually incentivizing further fossil fuel extraction instead of uh, getting an effective windfall tax for, for, you know, to help keep British families and pensioners warm this winter. So, you know, I think, I think there's a lot more they could be doing to, to look at, at um, 
tax revenues from oil and gas and also from banks. We're seeing them getting record profits from higher interest rates. Uh, and, that, that, you know, there, there are other sources of revenue we could be looking at. But let's not forget, we are in the very tight fiscal hole that we're in because of the government's actions over the last few months. It does sound like the government is leaning towards asking the better off to pay more. That's something that your party can get on board with, presumably. Well, obviously, we would have to look at the uh, exact uh, proposal. But, yeah, there's no doubt that, uh, you know, uh, that things, things look different depending where you're, where you're at. There are certainly people who've benefited a great deal more over the last decade than others. Um, and I think probably it is time to have a look at things like capital gains tax. Uh, and see if there's something that can be done about uh, allowances, perhaps, there. Uh, we would certainly be uh, for, you know, for, supportive for home, of, of home measures sellers? in those. If, if you were I don't looking think at home sellers, no. I think we, 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 would, we would look at things like the amount of allowance um, on capital gains tax. Um, but, yeah, I think we, we would want to see the full proposals that the government are putting forward. Now, one of the ideas that we're reporting on today is that Jeremy Hunt may push back some of the spending cuts that have to be announced until after the next election. Isn't that going to put the next government, whoever they may be, uh, in a very difficult position financially? Well, I think that would undermine the government's uh, stated objective of, of reintroducing stability. What is the point of announcing cuts that have to be implemented by the next government? I think everyone can see the opinion polls uh, that you know, you wouldn't have much confidence that those cuts were eventually going to be implemented uh, if you thought that they could only be done by the next government. So uh, I think that would be a, a, a slate of hand. Uh, you know, it would be a very highly political move, but it's not going to do much, I don't think, to uh, to restore faith in the economy. But apart from anything else, you know, I'm, I, we're, we're deeply worried about cuts. What we really want to see is, uh, you know, pensions and benefits to rise in line with inflation, when we really do need to see continued um, funding for our health service. We've got a massive backlog of people waiting for treatment, and that's having a knock-on impact on our workforce levels. And we're deeply, deeply concerned at the stories we're hearing about potential cuts to schools. Now, I've been speaking to schools in my constituency, and they're having to find the money for teacher pay rises of 5% or more out of existing budgets. And their budgets are all, 85% of their budget already goes on, on wage costs. They simply don't have the money. They're going to have to start cutting staff. Uh, so we're deeply concerned about what impact that might have on children and young people, and again, of course, our, our future growth and, and, and prosperity if, we, if we're not investing in education and skill. So you want money for pensions, benefits, the NHS, schools. Presumably you're not going to cut the £10 billion a month energy subsidy. And also, I read, you want the uh, a mortgage protection fund. This is a long list of spending commitments, isn't it? I mean, it's we're in such a difficult time. It's it, you know, I, I'm not I, I'm not shying away from how difficult it is, but I do think we're in this position because of past decisions by this conservative government that they're now asking everybody else to pay for. Uh, but I've already you know outlined what we would do, what we would have done, if you like, around the uh, around the windfall tax. Um, but you know, they're also proposing to cut the the, the bank levy, for example, from I think eight percent to three percent. We wouldn't do that. So, you know, there are other sources of, of income. But, you know, we are very much in this position because of the chaos that's been wrought by the Conservative government. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, central bank policymakers are not known for being outspoken, but what happens when they're allowed to speak their mind? Well, Michael Saunders left the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee this August. He's now taken up a job as senior advisor to Oxford Economics, and he's been speaking in his first interview in that role to our UK correspondent, Lizzie Burden. She asked him what he makes of the past six years of Conservative government. Well, it's been a chaotic period, hasn't it? Uh, We've had five prime ministers. Seven chancellors, I think. I apologise if I've missed out one or two of them. And also in economic terms, it's been a challenging period with the Brexit vote, the depreciation of sterling, a long period of political uncertainty, the pandemic, and then renewed political uncertainty. And I think perhaps the main legacy of that period is that the economy's potential output, what it can produce without generating inflation, has been weak. Indeed, the Bank of England's monetary policy report that came out recently implies that the economy's potential output has fallen outright since the end of 2019 and will grow by less than 1% per year in the next few years. And that implies low growth of living standards and constant battle over whether to raise taxes or to cut public spending. And I think getting higher potential growth is really the big economic challenge of the next few years. You mentioned Brexit. London's lost its crown to Paris as the biggest stock market in Europe. Is the city of London permanently damaged by Brexit? You know, I would cast the net wider than that. The UK economy as a whole has been permanently damaged by Brexit. It's reduced the economy's potential output significantly, eroded business investment, I mean, look, if we hadn't had Brexit, we probably wouldn't be talking about an austerity budget this week. The need for tax rises, spending cuts wouldn't be there if Brexit hadn't reduced the economy's potential output so much. Does the government need to be more open about that? Well, I think for, country, for, for the country as a whole, this question of how we raise potential output, that really is the thing I think which is going to be the big challenge. I mean, look, if I have to say, I, Liz Truss, in her brief failed premiership, got that one point right, um, that raising potential output is the big challenge. I think her diagnosis of the problem and her suggested uh, solution to cut taxes and to deregulate are wrong. Um, I would put the emphasis more on improving trade links with the EU, improving education, training, and also uh, fixing this worrying rise in long-term sickness, which has been reducing the workforce so much. And in the fiscal statement on Thursday, is there a danger that the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, overcompensates in his attempts to plug the fiscal gap? Well, I think the challenge for Hunt this week is to try to close the fiscal gap without further damaging the economy. It's clear from the business surveys that the 
the economy is in a tough place, but it got shrinking GDP in Q4 after a drop already in Q3. So you don't want to make that worse. So I have to say, the kind of things that I would look for if, if I was him would be to do measures which don't damage the economy so much. So perhaps um, introducing a tiered system of interest rates on banks' reserves, uh, reducing um, tax relief for top-rate taxpayers on pension contributions, closing some of the loopholes on non-DOMs, reducing the dividend tax allowance. These kind of measures would probably have a less adverse immediate effect on the economy than raising the headline tax rates or cutting the main departmental public spending. And we've also got inflation in double digits in the UK. Has the bank failed in its duty to fight inflation? You, of course, were the hawk of the committee. Look, I, I do think it's useful to look back at policy decisions and forecasts from previously. I have to say, I think it's wrong to overpersonalize it and to put it in terms of this person was right and that person was wrong. It's more important to try to learn the lessons from that period. And the big surprise, compared to the Bank of England's forecast from a year ago, is that the economy's supply side, its potential output, has been weaker. Productivity growth has been soft. The workforce has been lower than expected. As, as I said, much of that is due to long-term sickness. And you've got to try to incorporate the lessons from those economic surprises into your current policy assessment and to your forecast. So how much further do rates need to rise? I think they've still got uh, some way to go. Um, I would be cautious about saying exactly how much, but I, I think they probably have some further to go. And that's really to make sure that we don't end up with a lasting inflation problem. Remember, the inflation we've got is largely the result of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which has boosted energy prices. But there's also a substantial part of it which is domestic homegrown. And we've got to make sure that that doesn't persist, so that even once the energy effect fades, which it will do eventually, we get inflation back to the 2% target. That's the former Bank of England policymaker Michael Saunders, now of Oxford Economics, speaking to Bloomberg's Lizzie Burden. Well, let's uh, talk about matters international now. Rishi Sunak is making his first major foray into diplomacy as Prime Minister with his trip to the G20 in Bali. That is, if you don't count a uh, flying visit to the COP talks. We're told he's going to push for global actions to bring down the cost of living, boost global trade, prevent starvation and end the war in Ukraine. A pretty uh, long list. Well, joining us now is Bloomberg's senior international affairs reporter, Mark Champion. Mark, thanks so much for joining us in the studio today. This is our sort of first chance to see uh, Rishi Sunak in action on the world stage. What do we know about how he's going to uh, approach this? Well, I, you know, it's pretty clear that he will want to uh, kind of draw a line uh, between what I think internationally has been seen as a as a bit of a um, you know a, a disaster in the UK. Um, you know, f- first you had uh, Boris Johnson, uh, who was um, very strong on Ukraine, but often was uh, not seen as uh, you know a, a, a serious player in a, a number of ways on the international scene. And then you had uh, Liz Truss, who really didn't have the chance um, to you know, make much of an impact abroad, but um, the, uh, the, the impact on her domestic foreign policy and the fact that she lasted such a short time um, you know, left a, 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 an impression of uh, really uh, chaos and disorder in the UK. So he'll want to draw a line there. Um, and he's in a reasonably good position to do so. Um, he was uh, the chancellor through the uh, uh, chancellor of the exchequer through the COVID period. That will 
be remembered. Um, and uh, uh, he's also uh, the first um, uh, British Prime Minister of Indian extraction, um, mm. and he'll be going to the G20, uh, where that could um, uh, actually play a role. He will be seeing uh, uh, Prime Minister of India um, when he's there. Okay, um, uh, Mark, I think our listeners will sympathise with searching for words to try and describe everything that's happened in UK politics over the past couple of months. Um, but we are looking at Rishi Sunak now with a, a long list of goals and, and based on what he wrote in The Telegraph today of what he hopes to achieve at the G20, where might Rishi Sunak and the UK hope to make the most impact? Uh, well, you know, expectations for this particular meeting are extremely low. Uh, so I, I think this is mainly about, uh, you know, presentation of, of Sunak and the UK. Uh, and that's, you know, if he can do that uh, correctly, he will have achieved something. But in terms of, um, you know, solving world hunger and, and these kinds of issues, yes, there is a grain deal that needs to be uh, agreed uh, or renewed um, to get grain out of Ukraine and keep that on the mar- global markets uh, in order to suppress any uh, renewal of uh, grain price inflation. Um, But that's not necessarily going to be done at the G20. Um, There's going to be a lot of difficulty even getting uh, a joint statement out um, because the geopolitics politics are so divisive at the moment uh, you because of the war in Ukraine um, it's going to be very, very hard uh, to achieve the kinds of things that he's talking about. We know that uh, uh, Xi and Biden will be meeting uh, today. What do we know about um, UK-China relations? It does seem that that the UK has been moving apart from Beijing over the last uh, few years. Is that relationship going to remain quite quite testy? Uh, yes, I would imagine so. I mean, it's you know we it, we're at the very beginning of Sunak's uh, uh, you know reign in office, um, but from everything that he's sent so far on the key. Uh, foreign policy briefs, uh, the Ukraine-Russia war, uh, China, um, he is basically indicating that he's going to continue, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, UK foreign policy. He does, hasn't indicated any kind of radical shift. Um, so uh, uh, that is likely to remain tense, as is the relationship between, you know, Xi and Biden, the US and China, um, just because they're having a meeting, uh, first meeting since before COVID between uh, the leaders of the two countries. Um, that doesn't mean that uh, those tensions are going to disappear. They're really just trying to find ways of preventing them from escalating. Um, Of course, this is a chance too for Rishi Sunak to have time with European leaders away from the usual business that they're going to be, that they talk about, particularly away from post-Brexit relations. Is this perhaps a chance for Rishi Sunak to make some friends on the continent? Uh, yes, uh, that's the kind of thing that can be done uh, at the G20, um, and I, you know, I imagine he will. It is, it remains uh, the most important relationship for the UK to fix uh, after Brexit, after Johnson, who was not popular uh, abroad, um, and uh, as I mentioned earlier with Liz Truss. Um, so uh, yes, he, he. I think there will be some hope on the continent um, that there will be a steadier uh, pair of hands. Uh, to work through all the many issues that still have to be dealt with between the UK and and uh, the EU, who you know geography uh, simply uh, you know throws together. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. 
The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.